It's time to listen to the Career Bitches with Anne and Marcel. They cut through the bullshit and all the workplace drama. Now give it up for these mamas. Hey, hey, welcome back to Career Bitches. Um, this is Anne and... I'm I'm gonna Marcel. I'm gonna make you introduce yourself because I was scolded by our producer um, very recently. He said, "You know what? I noticed you and Marcel don't really introduce yourselves anymore. Is that like a thing now?" So I'm Anne Tropea, and Oops. my co-host is <laughs> I'm Marcel Yeager. Nice to see everybody. And this is actually, I think, the first episode with Anne this season. No, that's not true. No. Wrong. First episode we had, <laughs> and thank you very much. Um, but then the next episode, I believe it was just me. So I'm glad to have you yes. back. Yay. And I'm glad we to have, yeah. And we have an awesome guest today. Brandon Bramley is here, the salary negotiator, which is awesome because I don't think this is something we've ever exclusively talked about on a podcast. Mm-mm. So, yeah, there's always a first time. So, Brandon, we'd love to have you introduce yourself briefly before we get into our weekly bitch, and then we'll get started. So welcome. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today, Marcel and Anne. Uh, But yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Brandon Bramley. I'm the founder of The Salary Negotiator. Um, So I have a background in strategic negotiations, actually, from working in a bunch of different professional negotiation roles at some of the larger companies, so including Amazon and American Airlines, where I used to go ahead and lead multi-million dollar business-to-business negotiations, and then also hired many career professionals, mostly in the vendor management and procurement space. Uh, But I also have about 10 years experience in actually negotiating compensation and run the salary negotiator now full-time, where we actually provide professional job offer and salary negotiation coaching and courses to actually go ahead and help individuals um, learn the negotiation process and actually achieve the top end of their pay bands. Um, so I've led hundreds of salary negotiations with all types of companies ranging in size from small startups all the way to some of the largest global corporations. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you both to see if I can share some tangible advice um, and hopefully help everyone look a little bit differently at compensation negotiations. I'm super excited because everyone who's listened to this podcast knows I am a recovering attorney um, and negotiating stuff is part of what you do as a litigation attorney. But, um, you know, I'm very curious to just see like how that translates. Like I have negotiated salaries for myself in my own way. And I don't know if that's the right way (laughs) or if there's a better way. So I'm super excited to to kind of dig into that with you. Um, but first, we're going to have our weekly bitch. Um, and I'll, Marcel, I'll let you kick that off. I'm excited about I'm Look, I'm always <laughs> excited about the weekly bitch. <laughs> always. Um, and then we'll get into the, the real good stuff. But right. we would love to talk today about social media, but in sort of a different way than we've ever explored before, which is when your organization or company basically encourages slash asks slash forces you to post something promoting them on your personal social media accounts, whether it be Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, 
I know there's more. There are others. Those are the main ones right now. (laughs) I'm not even going to say Twitter. But um, (laughs) the artist formerly known as Twitter (laughs) is the only way that I will refer to it because it has been renamed very dumbly. I'll say. There you go. I would agree. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad we're all in agreement. I recently had to fill something out and it said it asked for our Twitter handle and I wrote no longer using. So um, (laughs) anyway, how, I mean, how do you all feel about it? I mean, it's been a while since I have, thankfully, (laughs) since I've had to work for somebody else. But um, so I haven't really been on the receiving end of that, but immediately my reaction to this is not quite right. Unless maybe you are a business development marketing professional and it's kind of expected. Right. Right. So I I just, it seems like this has been a trend fairly recently. And I, I notice it because I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, just, you know, as part of what I do as a communications consultant, just keeping my eye on that space. But I've noticed that a lot of people that I'm connected with are like constantly sharing or commenting on stuff, um, like social posts from their organizations, their the companies that they work for. And I know that there is this, if it's not explicit, there is like this expectation that, you know, if you don't amplify and share and engage, then you're, you know, you're not a team player. And I, yeah, it just, it's extra work. And look, we're not all marketing professionals. Um, and that's not really in our job. And I hate saying like, that's not in my job description. So I'm not going to do it. Like, it's fine to do it if you feel like it. But I think like having it be kind of an unsaid thing that you're supposed to do, like you're just supposed to know. I don't know. I think that's bullshit. And I don't, I don't think it's, I don't, you know, I don't even know if it's good. I don't even know if it's helpful. And it makes, it's extra work, guys, that um, it's not okay with me. Yeah. It also kind of sneaks into the like personal life where people feel pressured to go ahead and post about their company, which hopefully they are excited about their (laughs) job, but um, it's not always what you kind of want to see when you get the social media. So even with my LinkedIn account, you'll see a lot of stuff from the salary negotiator. Luckily I work there, but I didn't own the company, but still sometimes it's a little much and you notice they kind of get away from some of my personal aspects. So Mm. a little silly in my mind. It also worries me because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of clients say to us that they're not comfortable. They don't use social media. They don't like it. Mm -hmm. And we kind of try to like, you know, explain that LinkedIn is a little different just for the job search, even if they don't want to use it for anything, but just to have the profile and be very private with it and use security settings. So I could see why a lot of people would not feel comfortable just even using it in the first place and then to make them do it mm-hmm. for their job, which is usually like a temporary relationship, you know, these days it's not like, I mean, I guess if you are going to be a lifelong career person at a company, maybe it's okay, but nobody really knows that for sure. And it just right. doesn't happen much anymore. Right. No one's at a job, the same job for 30 years or like rare is that person these days. So. Right. So stop using people for free marketing. Yeah. <laughs> that's our bottom line. That's really, the, yeah. that's what it comes down to. Because that's what it is, right? They're like, well, we need to use social media. So let's just use our people using social media. But that's not really cool. 
No, that's not cool. No. All right. So let's talk about salary negotiations. Um, I know. And do you have any specific questions? Because I know this is kind of foremost on your mind recently. It totally is. Um, I, I think, you know, my approach has always been, you know, ask for way more than what you want so that you can agree on a number that you would be happy with. And that's, that's essentially like my strategy. So if I know I, you know, I need, or I want to hit a certain amount per year, let's just say for the sake of argument, like I know like a hundred thousand dollars a year is like the, the, the minimum number that I would be happy with. I'm going to ask for something more than that so that we can agree on something in between and then everybody's happy. I don't know if that's the right approach, but that's how I do it. It's worked for me. (laughs) Yeah. Good call out because it's definitely an approach that a lot of people use um, and it is relatively standard. The only kind of difference um, that we use at the salary negotiator and kind of where we found success is we take more of a database approach. Um, And the Mm -hmm. reason being is when most people think about negotiations, they think it's aggressive. They think someone throws out a low number, someone throws out a high number, you end up meeting in the middle or possibly splitting the difference. But with our approach, we take more of a data-based approach and try to target the top end of the pay band um, Mm -hmm. and putting out numbers and usually actually phrasing in a way of ranges. So you kind of identify your minimum band. That way, hopefully you land within that band rather than them just splitting the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason we do that is one, (laughs) by throwing out a large number, sometimes we've actually noticed that companies won't negotiate because if they're like, shoot, we can't hit that. Maybe they have a better not offer. Um, It's not worth it to go through the internal approvals to come back with something they won't accept. Um, As well as if you can identify kind of the top end of their pay range and something they should be able to reasonably accept, usually you can check all the boxes with them to say, hey, you're right. We have paid this in the past. Um, We do have that flexibility. And then you get kind of the hiring manager in there that's kind of pushing it forward of, hey, why wouldn't we do this? They're going to be doing the same responsibility, the same work as anyone else um, and kind of going through that approach. So that would be the only difference we've have. Um, just that way it kind of gets away from that old school of countering high, someone coming in lower and meeting in the middle. That makes sense to me. I mean, I, I do, I have noticed that people are now asking for, instead of just asking for a straight desired salary, they ask for your desired salary range. So I guess that's, that is, that makes sense that that's kind of the new trend. Um, The other thing that I would ask you is, so sometimes I'll, I'll think about like, what, what are things I could give on like wins that I could give to the other party, the other negotiating party that I would be willing to compromise on, but not necessarily leading with those things, but kind of keeping that in my back pocket. Like, okay, you guys are giving me kind of less than I'm asking, less than I would really want, but in return, like, could I, you know, negotiate, um, you know, a, a better benefits package or like a cell phone reimbursement or, you know, other kind of you know, more professional development money per year or additional time off or something like that. Is that, do you, do you advise kind of having those things in your back pocket or is that just something that's not really part of the negotiation process? 
No, that's actually a great call out because when people think of salary negotiations, they usually just think of the compensation components, but typically there's a lot more on the table than that. So you have different benefits. I mean, especially for all of us working remotely right now, <laughs> that's huge within <laughs> the workforce, as well as like different stipends, work from home packages, tuition reimbursements, all that. Um, the only strategy I have about it is typically um, kind of in our negotiation process is actually using utilizing questions in kind of the due diligence phase, very similar to how maybe you negotiate like a contract or for a car and like learning all the information about the job offer and sneaking mm -hmm. in some of those items up front before you actually get to the compensation is the best practice. That way you find out if they're willing to budge on the vacation, if they have a work remote policy, if they have mm -hmm. these special stipends so that when you do get to the compensation counter, that's all focused on um, and you've already gotten those free wins and it doesn't necessarily come into a trade-off. But mm. then if they don't make moves, you can bring those items back into the fold that they didn't move on or weren't available if you find out. Uh, because the worst thing I've seen is in a salary negotiation, people really want these perks, they need it, um, and they throw everything out where they come to me after they've done the negotiation themselves. And I'm like, oh, well, did you ask first to see if they are flexible, if they would match your current vacation since you're taking a step down or if they have a remote flexible? And they're like, oh, no, I didn't. I was like, well, what if that was already standard and they were willing to do that? So now you see it as a trade-off. You took a hit on compensation, yet they would have given that to you right off the bat just by asking a couple questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And would you recommend bringing that up like, is there a point, I guess, at the during the interview process, you recommend that? Because we get that question a lot from clients. It's like, I want this proposition to be remote and it says that it's possible, but I don't know what that means. Like, when do I ask for something like that? So what would you advise people? Yeah, my advice on that is so really during the interview process, I mean, that's where you should get your general questions um, answered. But really, I wouldn't say the negotiation should kick off until you get the job offer, just because that's usually when the leverage shifts in the conversation right. and you now have the opportunity, right? You're not pre-negotiating something that you don't know if you're going to get. Um, but it's good to be aware of that because that's going to be if you're interested or not. But once you get the job offer, kind of the first step in our negotiation process is to go ahead and actually do your initial review of the job offer as well as the benefit information and come up with some strategic questions to send back to the recruiter. Um, not only are you going to be able to get any last questions that you have answered before you accept the role, but you're also going to be able to sneak in some questions to clarify, hey, how does this benefit work? What does this compensation structure work? And then ask them if they offer all these items that are on your mind that are important to you in the role and see if they'll offer that. Um, and it's also a good step to actually build leverage by poking at some items that might not be consistent with other companies. So, hey, I noticed that your 401k match is less than my current company or your bonus, you're saying 20%, but how does that realistically come out at the end of the year um, for this team? That way you're doing that before you kind of go through the next steps of the negotiation. And right off the bat, you're having those conversations and you're simply asking questions to make sure you understand the full deal. Um, so that's what I recommend doing usually right after you get a job offer, um, because it also shows you're very interested, right? Someone that jumps on there is asking, understanding everything is not only secretly prepared for the negotiation, but shows that they're very interested in and evaluating the job. That's really good. I, I That's really good advice. Um, and is that, I guess that's the point too, where you would say, if there's something like not included in the job offer you get, 
where, you know, like a stipend for professional development, for example, that Anne gave, would that be the point too, that you say, like, you know, I noticed this wasn't a part of the offer. Is that something you'd consider? Yeah, 100%. So you're essentially in that phase, you're collecting data points and items that you're going to want to mention in the counter. So once you get to the counter, if you notice there's an item that um, they said no on first, you now know what to include that might be important because then it might come either one to see if you can get it or two of, hey, I noticed you didn't have this. So based off this, I'm looking at a compensation range of X to X. Um, so essentially you're kind of using it as like a step-by-step process to build up mm-hmm. and create your counteroffer before you send it. That makes sense. And if I've kind of taken this approach in real estate too, when I bought um, bought houses, like you, once, you know, you give, you give an offer on a house, um, and it's contingent on the results of the home inspection. Right. And so you, you know, you know, you do your home inspection and it turns out like, Oh, the water heater needs to be replaced. And there's some, you know, damage to the roof or something that, you know, will need to be repaired. And you can go back and say, well, you know, I'll be happy to do all these repairs myself, but we're going to drop the price of the house by this much. Um, so <laughs> it, it it does give you some leverage to be able like to be able to kind of renegotiate as you go. Yeah, that's honestly an amazing example uh, because very similar to kind of that real estate purchase um, is in an interview. You're trying to ask a lot of questions, but usually you're pressed for time to make sure that mm-hmm. they know you're the best one for the role. So you don't necessarily have all the information for the job outside of the job description and your quick 30 minute to 45 minute interviews. So it's a chance to now show them that you're doing the research, you're asking the questions and you're unfolding items that you weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, yeah. I think it's fair. I definitely think it's fair game um, and companies Companies where you want to work should appreciate the fact that you you're doing the homework, right? And that you're you're being mindful about the potentially saying yes to a company that you, you know, you might be there for years. I think I think a lot of people are afraid that if they negotiate or if they try to negotiate, the company is gonna say, actually, you know what? Forget it. Like I'm not going to hire you now, (laughs) but I don't, I think what I'm hearing is like, that's not the case and it's okay. And even expected that some negotiation will take place. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, first off, I mean, negotiation is very common. So a lot of people do get the fear of, oh, if I negotiate, uh, they're going to be upset or they're just going to say no. So it's not worth it. But in reality, I mean, usually when you're even just asking questions, you're learning more about the role rather than accepting right away is it shows that they hired the right candidate, right? They're not just going to hire someone that just accepts everything is, is they run into it, but they're hiring someone that is very intelligent. They're asking questions. They're doing their research, probably the same that they're going to go ahead and um, do once they start in the role. Um, and at the end of the day, they want you to feel comfortable with accepting. So <laughs> no one's going to get upset if you slow down, you don't accept the first time they call you with the offer and you ask questions and make sure that one, this is the right career decision for yourself, as well as you know, everything going into it. Mm-hmm. And that that's really interesting because as you were both talking, I thought to myself, well, how much is too much? Because uh, people do ask us this too. Like, well, at what point are they going to say like this person is difficult? They're asking too many questions or they're asking for too much leverage 
between these like five different things. You know what I mean? Like, how do you decide whether you should focus just on do like two things plus the compensation or nothing and just the compensation or five, you know what I'm saying? Like how is there a point that where it's too aggressive or too much? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's a fine balance. So that's usually why I recommend that like first step of like finding out what's on the table first to see if you can knock a bunch of those items off. Um, but when it comes out back to like asking in the counter offer for the right amount, it really comes back to kind of the second step that we use in the negotiation, which is the compensation research. So when you're at mm-hmm. least looking at like on a compensation basis is if you think of most companies, unless it's like a very small startup is you should be able to do compensation research to find out what the pay ranges both on a base salary basis and a total compensation basis for that role in that location at that company. That way you have a realistic idea of where the low end and the high end of that role is and where your initial offer sits, because that's what's going to guide you into say, hey, is this a competitive offer? Are they trying to bring me in on the low end or the mid end, or is this at the top end of their pay band? And can identify how much more you could ask for, um, as well as that gives you the opportunity to also look at it on a total compensation basis to see not only what the base salary is, but what are the other compensation components, like possibly an annual bonus, um, equity, if you're going to have that in your offer, or a sign-on bonus, to make sure that you can focus on those items um, in your counteroffer. And then outside of that, it's really seeing what items that you didn't um, get in the due diligence phase to see if you want to tack those on. Um, so it's hard to say like, what's the fine balance. Um, I think it's easier to say, what is the top end? So you're not asking for crazy stuff with compensation. Um, right. and then the other benefits that you tack onto there are really going to be like the key ones for you. But for example, if it's like standard items, like a 401k match or health insurance, if it's a larger company, those items are probably not flexible. <laughs> You're going to change them for one employee um, compared to maybe like an extra week of vacation, uh, hybrid work schedule and items like that where they're a little bit more flexible. Right, right. And I think, you know, this kind of goes back to what you were saying, um, your initial reaction to my strategy, which was just to throw out, you know, a high number, right, potentially a high number and risk pricing yourself out of a job you might actually want if you do have some flexibility. Um, I will say that, you know, in recent cases where I've been asked for a range that I would accept, I do exactly what you're suggesting. I look up the company on Glassdoor, I think is a good resource. Um, You can create a free account and just kind of see for the job that you're being hired for, what is the salary range that people have reported for that role? And so if it's really low, you know, I might not even bother applying, right? If they or if they don't list, if they don't list a salary and it looks like it's gonna be something I'm just not interested in, then I won't apply. But if it looks like it's it could be doable, if I could push it a little bit, then I will put in a range that is that encompasses kind of averages that others have reported. So if it's a really cool job, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, I will take less money to work with cool people any like oh you know any day over making a lot of money working for assholes. So that's <laughs> but that's don't you know tell them that yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there but I everyone has a price. So there is a point at which I will work with assholes, but it has to be a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. Keep that that's part true. to yourself. All right. 
Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but I, I like that though, because it's true. I mean, most of the compensation data is out there. There's a ton of sites. You should be averaging across them. Um, mm. And probably like a good, my own personal, no, like weekly bitch. Um, that is honestly something that I complain about most often is people grasping the concept of like base, the difference between just like your base salary and total compensation, because mm. those should be two items that you can find. So a lot of people, when they think of getting a new job, they're hyper focused on the base salary. What is the base salary going to be paid? Because I'm used to that because that's essentially in every paycheck that I get compared to when you start kind of going up in your career and you're getting bonuses and then hopefully equity, depending on the company you're at, is the company is actually looking at it on a total compensation basis of, hey, how much am I paying for this employee per year? So Mm -hmm. you should be doing the research on both. That way, when you negotiate, you're not only increasing your guaranteed comp, which is your base, but your total monetary take-home pay at the end of the day. Um, But I see that miss a lot (laughs) where people are like, oh, I'm super upset they're not hitting my base salary, but I'm like, okay, but you're actually making a lot more on a total compensation basis. Um, it's because you've just been focused on like one number. So you got to make sure you look at like the, the full picture. Right. I, for me, I think what is the most tangible is looking at the health benefits are a huge expense. Some companies will pay 100% of your deductible and you'll, you'll essentially have zero or like nominal healthcare costs for a year. I mean, that could that could easily be thousands of dollars a year that, you know, stay in your pocket because you're not having to pay out premiums or like big deductibles for care. So I I do think that's I can see why you would bitch about that because I definitely would. It's <laughs> it's short sighted. <laughs> yeah. It, but it it's really a great is. point. Yeah, because you're right. I mean people are so focused on that one number they forget about everything else that's a really great reminder for everyone to pay attention to both and everything else you're getting um another question i think we get a lot is like if a company comes back and says this is the top range like i we can't go above 120 or something do you have a strategy for what people should do in that case. Cause my advice has always been, you should still ask for more, you know, even if it's like, I mean, I know, you know, the government has specific bans, for example, and, and other industries might as well. Um, but what is, what is the strategy there? Yeah, there's definitely a strategy there. It depends on kind of what step of the interview process is. If they're just sharing ranges in the interview um, kind of phase, the best comment there is like, hey, it would need to be towards the top end of that range for me to consider it, but I still want to interview with it. At least that way you're going to end up with a strong effort out the gate. But once you get into the negotiation and say you throw out a counter um, and they come back saying they can't do that, because most likely they will. <laughs> it's very easy to say no. And most recruiters are trained to say no and deter you from negotiating. So if someone would say, hey, sorry, we can't hit that range of XX, this is the best compensation you have is I would just identify that as a simple no and a negotiation tactic. And the way kind of I pitch our clients is to handle that as an objection, right? You're anticipating that if you send out a counter, they're going to try to push back because that recruiter that you're working with has to go ahead and sell their internal team to increase it and let them know that they did try to kind of deter you before taking it up. So in those conversations, your only goal is to overcome that no in some way. So they actually 
actually take your concerns back past the middleman, which is typically the recruiter to the decision maker. So I suggest using a tactic. So for example, if you asked me that, Marcel, my response would be something like, hey, look, I greatly appreciate it. Um, and I know it's a generous compensation structure. And I know you might not be able to hit the numbers that I'm hoping for. However, I do have these concerns at the moment. So all I'm asking for now is if you actually just take it back to your team to see what they can do to improve the offer. Um, because by answering it like that, you're essentially just turning the question back on them and hopefully overcoming them and getting them to agree to take it back for one last look. And <laughs> based off our data, 90% of the time, the company will come back with a better offer. That's awesome. Yeah, because I, I really like the way you phrase that because it's not some people, again, going back to like people feeling like they're going to offend someone or be too aggressive. Like that's a very polite, generous way of phrasing it and saying like, look, I know this is going to be hard for you going back to your team to talk about it, but can you please do that for me? And if they, like you said, like if they really want you, they're going to try to do something about it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I have um, a very recent example that I can share, and I was shocked that this worked. But I I interviewed uh, with a an organization on Tuesday, and then they immediately asked for a second interview yesterday. They gave me an offer like an hour later. Um, so yay for me! But <laughs> they wanted me to. It's based, you know, it's it's based in DC. I I'd have to be in the office three days a week. Didn't really want to do that. Um, so I wrote back and said, you know, I, that just doesn't work for me as much as I love you guys. And I think it would be a good match. That's like, you know, five plus hours a day, just in commute time. And it's not, I, I can't do it. <laughs> so they called me today and said, look, you know, what would make you happy? Like, what if we could reduce your days in the office to one? Like, would that, would that be enough to get you on board? Like, what else can we do? to like get you to yes, essentially. So I said, if if you guys can agree to that and like give me a week to um, get an answer from this unicorn job that I'm really hoping for, then let's talk. <laughs> so <laughs> shockingly that worked um, and I, I can't believe it, but goes to show you just don't know how strong of a candidate you are necessarily because right you're on the outside and they're on the inside. so one thing i was wondering brandon is you know what you say when people have objections to negotiating right because because we do get people who are just like well i really loved in this interviews i really want this job it's the perfect job for me should i even bother negotiating because it makes me feel uncomfortable right like what do you tell people if if they say that to you and how can you help them actually negotiate and take that step? Yeah. So usually I tell them nicely that they're being a little bit silly <laughs> for, to not negotiate. But if you think about it, I think Anne touched on this earlier, is once you actually get a job offer and you go through the interview process, you've met with so many different people on that interview panel that they've all checked the box to say, yes, this is the right one for the job. This is the right person. We want to bring them on the team. So then they're pointing at the recruiter to do everything to bring them on board. So that's really kind of what builds the leverage that you have in these conversations. Um, by no means are they ever going to take the job offer or look at you differently when you negotiate, um, as long as you keep it kind and professional, of course. Um, and we've actually never seen a job offer get rescinded 
It just doesn't happen unless for some reason throughout that process, <laughs> your negotiation tactics aren't great and they don't think you're the right one for the position. So I highly recommend that everyone slow down, even if it is the right job, is think about how long are you going to be there, right? Most people are going to be in their career for like the next three to eight years, I believe on average. So you now have this chance to make sure that everything fits your needs and that you're getting paid competitively as well as competitive benefits before you accept. Um, so it's time to slow down, go through the due diligence phase, um, go through the negotiation. And depending on your role type, say you're a product manager or you are going into a role that's based off building relationships, is this experience should almost be part of the interview process where it actually highlights those skills um, and shows that they hired the right one for the job. Rather than if your goal is, if your job is to have like hard conversations, build relationships with internal teams and kind of push back, maybe have a little bit of backbone. If you can't kind of advocate for yourself in a professional manner, maybe that's not the right skill set they're looking for. So that's usually what I highlight. And the main reason is one, we've never seen a job offer rescinded. Um, and rarely do we see job offers at the top end of the pay ban. Um, and then two, I used to recruit for procurement and vendor management roles where they were actually um, required to negotiate. That was a core um, responsibility. So if they didn't negotiate their compensation, I was not impressed. I was worried. I was like, oh, shoot, I think we got the wrong candidate. Maybe we should be looking for someone else. Um, so... Like I mentioned, I think they should always negotiate. And even if it's the right job, it's everything you want, just go through that phase to make sure that you have the best package possible before you accept. Thank you for saying that because I this is something that I try to drive home even in like interview prep sessions where I tell people that like through the examples you give, you don't even realize the soft skills you're portraying, like by giving an example, they're going to take away that you're self-motivated or you are dedicated to learning new things uh, or you're like really good at, you know, with interpersonal skills and things you can't even see that you're not saying out loud. Right. And so even like the example you just gave is perfect because it's like, well, if you show that you're willing to negotiate, that says a lot of things about you. Right. Like, and that you're willing to put yourself out there. You're not afraid to step up or ask for things or ask for help or ask an expert. If you don't know something, all of these things that are probably going on in someone's head as you're negotiating the offer. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And the other thing too, is I think a lot of people, when they hear negotiate, they think what they see on TV or maybe what they experience at like the car dealership and they think it's going to be an aggressive pro process, but really all the conversations should be professional and kind, almost as in the tone that you're talking with a friend that's helping you feel comfortable with the move to the new company. Um, and by no means make yourself look bad <laughs> in those conversations. <laughs> I like that you brought up the car dealer because um, <laughs> the last car I negotiated on was um, a long time ago, like 10 years ago, still have it. Uh, and it was a used car then. But um, when I told the guy, um, cause you know, he quoted me the amount and I was like, what else can you do for me? And he was so surprised. I think honestly, because I'm a woman, and was mm -hmm. a younger woman then that I asked him that question that he did go and talk to his boss and came back and took a couple thousand off off the car. So it works, right? Even I wouldn't say that in a job discussion, but 
something like <laughs> that, right, is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. If you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> exactly. Just That's ask. True. What's the worst that could happen? They can say no, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you accept anyways. <laughs> exactly. If you love the job, you accept anyway. So who cares? Well, thank you, Brandon. This has been such a great conversation. We really appreciate your time. And I know our audience is going to get a lot out of hearing from you today. Can you tell us if people want to find out more or ask you questions, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where can they find you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, anyone can always uh, reach out. Um, So if they're interested in our salary negotiation services or looking for some free tips, they're always welcome to go to our website at thesalarynegotiator.com. And then we offer their one-on-one coaching to kind of help everyone through the salary negotiation process. And we also have salary negotiation courses um, that help them navigate that themselves and build some of these um, negotiation skills. And you can find those at thesalarynegotiator.com slash courses. Um, But outside of that, I'm on LinkedIn, (laughs) Brandon Bramley. Um, And we also have a lot of free tools as you start to learn more about your compensation and you start to evaluate your kind of new roles and what looks best on a total compensation basis on our site. Wonderful. I'm sure I'm sure people will uh, will definitely check that out because it's it's something everyone has to deal with at some point in their job search. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening and we'll see you next time. See you guys next time. The Career Bitches are eternally grateful to our producer, Joe Tropea at Harry Cover Films, based in beautiful Baltimore City, for his bullshit-free feedback and constant support. We would also like to thank Micro Kingdom for their musical genius and providing our theme music. You can check out more of their extracognitive spiritual magnetism at microkingdom.com. A new episode of Career Bitches drops every Monday morning to start your work week, and you can listen to us bitch on demand on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you find your podcasts.